As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne and we're back to chat white hot Carabao action. Chris Woffs here, how the devil are you, Chris? I'm very good, thank you, yes. And actually this is this is sort of old news, but I've only found out about it this week, so I just want I know that I know that the Great North Run was was like at the start of this month, but what I didn't realise until last weekend was that apparently I was George Culkin's inspiration. And the reason I mention that is that despite me being in Bournemouth, several hundred miles away, apparently George saw me on the Tyne Bridge and told other people that he'd seen me. Did you see Chris on the Tyne Bridge as we run around? I found this out this week, but George, I wasn't even there. You were thinking about me in those moments on during the Great North Run, and I was 400 miles away. Interesting, yeah. I did Always think... on your mind. I'm just always on your mind, aren't I? Well, you're on my mind right now because I'm um, having having obviously been at the match last night, as I know you were. As I know you were, I have brought a plate of chips with me uh, for this podcast just to um, just to see how long it will take for you to piss absolutely all over them, <laughs> um, bearing your incredibly negative response to Newcastle's magnificent goalless draw in the San Siro um, last week. I'm just wondering, eight nil against Sheffield United. Brilliant victory over Man- Manchester City in the in the League Cup. I'm just wondering how you can spoil this for all of us. <laughs> I'll try my very best. Chris hates the Carabao Cup. We made that completely clear last week. He hates life. He just hates. Everything. I don't hate the Carabao Cup. I hate. I hate, I hate the name of the Carabao. It's Cup. such a change, though, isn't it? It's not the Carabao. You're Cup. You're talking about it so much. I just. Oh God, I'm desperate for it. Oh, I really could. I love a can of Carabao right now. Would you prefer if Carabao made like energy bovril? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I've never had one. Yeah, I've, I've never, never even so because you don't see them in the shop because they don't no, sell has it. Anyone had one? A, has like... anyone ever had a Carabao? <laughs> I had one on the way to Wembley. Did you on the way to Wembley for the Carabao Cup final? It's the only time I've ever tasted it. Was it nice? No, it was fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what did it? What did it taste of? Broken dreams. Yeah, bitterness. <laughs> Anyway, uh, George, nice to have you back, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Are you all right? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Excellent. Yeah, I wasn't uh, wasn't there for, for Sheffield United. I needed about a week to recover from Milan. It was like 
that was jet lag. I mean, it was like <laughs> oh, I had delayed jet lag after that, but what a, what a brilliant experience. And then, um, yeah, and then watched very happily on the telly at the weekend. But yeah, was back was back at St James's last night, and uh, yeah, fantastic. I mean, what a what a what a week it's been for Newcastle. Absolutely. Well, Eddie Howe rung the changes last night, didn't he, Chris? An all-new back four. Uh, Nick Paul, probably the surprise retention. And three left-backs. He went full Pardew, didn't he? What's all that about? Yeah, it was just as, as many left-backs as possible on the pitch. And, yeah, and <laughs> Newcastle signed on. another one over the summer. Just have to get as many as possible. The, the ten changes did surprise me. I thought that, particularly given Howe's comment, I know that we keep on saying that Howe in, Eddie Howe in press conferences says a lot of things which just turn out to be complete rubbish in terms of the way that he's deflecting from things. But he did he, he did sort of make the point a couple of times in, in the last few weeks that I don't want to make too many changes because I don't want to break the rhythm. I, I would... For, three or four changes each game makes sense I thought there'd be slightly more for this as I said in the podcast last week I thought maybe it's five or six half the team but to have changed every outfield player was was a surprise um, now I know that part of that was due to illness and injury so some players couldn't play for those reasons but I did worry about how that would affect Newcastle and, and maybe that's partly why they started a little bit tentatively and slowly in the first half because they had a side who essentially scratch side is not fair because they play together every day in training and obviously pre-season and things but they've never played a competitive match together and although Man City had made a lot of changes you're playing the treble winners uh, in a huge a huge occasion at St James's Park and I, th- I thought that the, you could see that that sort of lack of maybe his understanding or um, appreciation for, for, for runs each other would make in the first half and that maybe Newcastle struggled a little bit because of that. Yeah, they looked a bit nervy, didn't they, George, to start with? And, and Newcastle looked to be struggling to get into the game. I thought they did okay, actually. I thought first five, ten, ten minutes that they they played quite well and and were up for it. And I think it's it's a pattern actually that's been mirrored in previous games. They have that kind of quite fast start, but then a sort of push back and then struggle to recover a bit. I mean, I think that actually they started off well, but um, once City got the ball. They just couldn't get it back, and it, yeah. they're such a difficult team to play against in that form. But I also think that Newcastle, whether they gave them too much respect or whatever it, you know, whatever the cliche is you want to use, I think Newcastle were kind of guilty of that, and they almost didn't believe in themselves because, you know, if you if you have men behind the ball, that's fine. But you can be aggressive, you know, you can be aggressive out of possession, and they weren't in the first half. I didn't think the second half though was a whole was a whole different story. But yeah, they they struggled. Uh, they struggled in the first half. It was you know whatever it was, seventy percent possession, seventy five percent possession for Man for Man City. Albeit they weren't really testing Nick Pope. An absolutely incredible moment for for Lewis Miley as well, Chris, isn't it? That's a that's a big deal for that young man to get a game. Uh, to start his his first start at St James's Park against that team as well in in the Carabao Cup, it's a massive moment for him. It is. I mean, also a massive moment for for, for Hall. At yeah. Left well, left, played several positions as, as we'll get onto, but for Lewis Miley in particular, full professional debut for, for, for Newcastle United, and I thought that he was. You, you you could see elements of what he brings. I mean, it wasn't really the occasion to to for him to to shine and show all of what he did in preseason because Newcastle just didn't have the ball in the first half and he was up against a very experienced midfield. I thought Matteo Kovacic ran the game in the first half. I thought he, he just he, the, the way that he glided around the pitch, the way that he he passed and moved. And although Newcastle did very well to actually restrict Man City to very few clear cut chances, 
Man City had all of the territory, all of the possession, and that meant that Lewis Miley didn't get enough of the ball at his feet. And we know that that that's when he can beat his, his very best. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and say it was a it was a really difficult night, both for both for him uh, and for Lewis Hall. But Lewis Miley is the future. I saw a lot of him in pre-season. I was obviously in America on the tour, and he was one of the standout performers for Newcastle over there. You know, I felt sorry for him last night, and you know, Chris and I talked about this. Chris, Chris was there, and it was pretty brutal. You know, for for him and Lewis Hall to come off at half time. You know, young players obviously desperate to make an impression, but. It, I do think it'll stand them in good stead. You know, there is that sort of sense. You have to work. You have to be at it. And because it worked so well, what happened after that, I think they just have to take that on the chin. But yeah, it was an absolutely brilliant moment for, for Lewis Miley in particular. And he categorically deserved that chance. And I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of him in the future. Yeah, fingers crossed. And almost no chances whatsoever uh, in the city half to speak of, Chris, until we had one. Alexander Isaac slid Jacob Murphy in and his uh, his attempt was stopped by the goalkeeper. Suddenly, St. James's Park springs to life, doesn't it, off the back of that? And you think, hang on, there might actually be something here. Yeah, I think that was in about the 41st minute. And yeah. if you watch the replay, Alexander Isak is not a not happy, happy man. No. And he does not receive he does not receive the the ball back. If you actually watch it, there are there, there are about three Man City players in between Jacob Murphy and him. So I don't think it yeah. was the easiest pass to have played. I think as well, just as he goes equally. to strike it, the, it opens up. There's a little corridor yeah. opens up, and he could just pull it yeah. back. But yeah, I, you know, who who in Jacob Murphy's position there is going to pass that ball? He, he's through on goal. He has a goal, doesn't he? And he scored in a very similar situation at the Etihad a few years ago for for Newcastle United um, when he when he was played through one on one. So you, you you can't really blame him for having gone for it. I mean, the first half Newcastle struggled t- to get into the rhythm, as I said, and and actually. There was a lot of tinkering going on as well. Lewis Hall started the match as essentially like a left side. I mean, it was it was sort of a four three three, but more of a four five one because yeah. Newcastle just had so little of the ball out of possession had it. So then he started sort of the highest on the left, Joel Linton left side of the of the number eight. Then they switched. Then Hall still was struggling a little bit. Although he did play a very good pass through to Alexander Isak early on, yeah. which which Isak showed appreciation to. It. But he but he didn't have uh, the, the the he did look nervous. And then he moved to to left back, and Matt Target was moved further forward. So Newcastle did quite a lot of tinkering of their own accord yeah. to try and just find a way to sort of stemmy the tide. And and I, I, I'd message George, and I'd use the sort of term that I thought was pretty brutal that the, the changes at half time. But the, they were also necessary in terms of the, the it, it did feel as if Newcastle needed a bit more experience out on the pitch just just some particularly Bruno Gimaraes I mean we're going to get, get on to the second half in a bit but someone who would come on and take control of the match and that's exactly what Newcastle didn't have in the first half yeah. Man City will look at it and think that we had so much of the ball but actually did very little with it their final ball was lacking I thought they were very good until basically they got the final third and even the chances they did have Nick Pope sticking out a leg to save from Alvarez who also shot and, and it went out for a throw and I think they were both times the ball was just a little bit over hit so that they weren't actually cleaned through on goal as, as, you, as you would expect but Newcastle defensively I thought were good and frustrated Man City but just on the ball they just weren't good enough first half. Yeah it was an absolutely absurd change of pace at half time wasn't it George and do we do we put that down to a, a half time grilling or do we put that down to uh, tactics or game management or was that the plan all along? Well, it definitely wasn't a plan all, all along. How was asked about that afterwards, and he says, "No, unfortunately not." He, they certainly, you know, he wanted to see more aggression from his team uh, in the first half, and they'd stood off Man City too much. But yeah, it was absolutely like flicking a switch, and it was magnificent. 
Anthony Gordon is the man of the moment. He came on and just Shepard, wasn't he? was just brilliant, snapping into a that tackle onto Kovacic, setting the tone. Same with Bruno, came on feisty, angry, and determined to make an impact. And yeah, as I say, I mean, they, Newcastle did have more of the ball in the second half, but it was the way they played off the ball as well. They were so aggressive. They didn't give uh, City a moment's rest, and it was brilliant to see. And it was it was kind of interesting seeing players trying to wind the crowd crowd up. I mean, it's, you know, the emotions of the past week will come on to talk about a, a bit later, I think. But I found that interesting that, you know, the players were actually trying to get the crowd up and by the end, the crowd were really back up for it. But, um, uh, you yeah, know, second half was just, was magnificent in terms of that, of that aggression. And yeah, absolutely very difficult for the two young players to come off in those circumstances, but it worked and it uh, it worked really, really well. When you mentioned the atmosphere, we had the Man City fans chanting that the, during the first half that, uh, is this the Etihad? Because, uh, which I think was them trying to be self-deprecating about the, the fact that, that it's very, it's going to be quite quiet at the Etihad on occasion. And I think that they thought the atmosphere wasn't quite there first half in Newcastle. No, but I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I do think this is fascinating. And well, maybe, maybe we could just talk about it a bit now. I mean, I, I wrote about this for my match piece. Newcastle actually, they're consulting a sports psychologist this season. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of something that all the big clubs do now and of course Newcastle is still rebuilding their squad and team and backroom staff and all the rest of it but the theory is is that this is actually all to do with them being in Europe and facing very very different challenges and trying to have that sort of same mentality whoever they play in whatever the circumstances whoever's in their team I mean if you think about it going from the San Siro where they're push back, push back in that extraordinary atmosphere in the baking heat, then Sheffield United, where they're doing the pushing, and then, you know, trying to find a way beyond Man City's press against the best team in the world, you know, with a, after making 10 changes. That's so diff, That's such a different set of challenges. The reason I'm mentioning this now instead of later is it's also a different set of challenges for us, for fans, you know. I mean, t- so to have the same intensity at yeah. all times... Is exhausting. It's draining. Yeah. I mean, I talked at the top about coming back from Milan knackered, but I did. And, you know, it takes time to recover. And so it's. I think this is all about learning as a club, as a fan base, as a squad, how to react to all these different challenges. You look at City and the way they, I mean, obviously they lost to Newcastle, but, you know, to have that same sort of mentality, whoever's playing is extraordinary. And so, yeah, they've, they've taken steps to sort of do that. But uh, it's a new challenge. It's like a new challenge for 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 all of us. Absolutely, we're in uncharted territory here as fans, aren't we? We don't really know how to deal with this. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Chris, you've got a theory apparently and I'm supposed to come to you now. What the hell is this all about? Well, I've been sort of waiting for the moment to, to bring this up, and it's—I mean, this is me trying to think about football oh, and actually no. what uh, something I would suggest to Exactly. He's got too much time on his hands. He's got too much time on his hands, hasn't he, Tyler? This is this is a concern for mm. all of us. But I I I suggest that Newcastle United should break with tradition, and I have a theory that Eddie Howe's Newcastle United should start if they win the toss by head, by playing towards the Gallagher end. And when we talk about the change of pace in the first half to the second half, I think that when you have a side who want to come out the traps very quickly, press the, the opposition and, and suffocation almost, that actually going down the slope first half would be to Newcastle's benefit in terms of preventing the opposition from getting out. Now, the argument would be Newcastle turned it around last night in the second half. That's when they, they put the afterburners on. But... That I've just got this. I just feel that maybe that the way that this side is programmed, that actually there will be better first half to be shooting towards the Gallagher end, breaking with tradition that Newcastle would do, uh, have done for so many years that if they win the toss, they shoot towards the Leases end the first half. I think that they should change that and see how it works. This is what you do in your spare time, is it, Chris? But the nights fly by in your house. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about that is absolutely nothing. So we can probably move on very swiftly. Why is that? Why you've been on this? You've been on the St James's Park pitch. You know how much professionals still talk about how much I've the played slope on that pitch. I know, but this is the slope is yes, real. Yes, I'm, I'm aware it is, and I just find this what I find so sort of irritating about this is that you're bringing this up literally the day after Newcastle have used the slope in the second half to force their way into a game and then win that game. And where the evidence is that they've they've their pressure has increased as the night has gone on, and in the second half they were kicking down the hill and it's worked to their advantage. And yet your why, your massive why, why, theory after watching that is to su- suggest it should be the other way around. Why are the two mutually exclusive? That why does it have to? Why does it have to? I wasn't I wasn't in any way making last night a negative. I'm just saying that I, using that to try and find a way for the side again. But I don't understand why you have to suddenly make it that I'm pissing on the chip. I didn't say that. Me to be I didn't say that. <laughs> you you said at the start of the podcast you wanted me pissing on the chip, and you've decided this is the moment you're going to think that it was a ne- it wasn't. A it's a lack of logic. I wasn't, I wasn't being negative about last night. It's not, it's not a lack of positivity. It's a lack of logic. Ah, oh, you two boys with your arguments. Bless you. Anyway, Chris's chips have been firmly pissed on, so let's move on. Um, great moment for Alexander Isak, uh, George, with some fantastic muscle work from Joe Linton as well. It was lovely to have him back, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was. Wasn't expected, and it was a brilliant. It was a. It was a fantastic goal. Should also pay tribute to Jamal Lascelles and Jacob Murphy and Jacob Murphy. Yeah, great pass from Lascelles to Murphy. You don't often think about or talk about Jamal's. Uh, sort of passing range from centre half because he doesn't usually sort of look too comfortable on the ball, but um, yeah, that was it was great awareness and Murphy, yeah, passed it on nicely and then Gillington, yeah, just worked his way into the box, out to the right and squared it and Isak couldn't couldn't miss, but yeah, there were some lovely moments from from Isak I thought, and then I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter or X or Bollocky Bollocks whatever it's called now, but um, Bollocky the, Bollocks. There was that moment afterwards. I mean, we were probably all wondering why Harland didn't come onto the pitch, but. He did come on the pitch at the end and he had a nice chat with 
uh, with Alexander Isak and seemed to give him his shirt and then Isak took his shirt off and I don't know what he was saying to him but it looked it looked sort of very complimentary from Haaland to, to Isak um, which was a nice nice moment but yeah it was uh, there was some lovely there were some lovely touches from him last night there was absolutely and the, after the goal though Chris the pace kind of relented a little bit but it was a much healthier pattern of play wasn't it than the first half Newcastle was still in the game uh, at one nil up and they were they were pushing for another one at times and nearly got it. Yeah, I thought that until the sort of last 10 minutes, probably even the, maybe even the last five minutes, I didn't think Man City really looked like they were even going to create an opening, never mind really test uh, Nick Pope. Grealish had a shot from distance, but I thought uh, Jeremy Docker, when he came on, made a difference and that, that he created a few openings f- f- for Man City. But until they had a shot flashed just wide from, I think it was Lewis in, in injury time, Yeah, didn't think that, uh, really at all that they, they threatened Newcastle. And it was actually Newcastle who mm-hmm. had a few openings of their own. And again, the final ball wasn't maybe there or the decision-making wasn't quite there f- for Newcastle themselves. Anthony Gordon's some great work where he twice won the ball high up and uh, and managed to get through, but but just quite a tight angle, which Man City saved from. So I, th- I think that Newcastle really grew. And as the game wore on until those final five minutes, it was actually Newcastle who seemed to be in control, complete contrast to the first half when it had been Man City who were, were dominating possession and territory. Absolutely. And uh, we have to say as well, George, a great goal-saving tackle by Tino Livramento on 80 minutes. and A, a great showing from him. And he, he got man of the match as well, didn't he? Deservedly got man of the match. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, sort of a contrast to, you know, to to, to and Miley, you know, not slighting them at all, but he just looked like he'd been playing in that position forever for Newcastle. Um, I mean, amazing when you think that that's his first full 90 minutes since last April, I think it was, because obviously he had that terrible ACL injury yeah. at Southampton and it's taken him a while to, to kind of come back from that. Yeah, brilliant. I've written about him too. I spoke to him after the match, got a kind of sense of how how young he is from that interview but he was buzzing about you know the, those chants of Tino Tino there was a bit of a sort of shiver up the spine hearing that it was St. James, St. James's again lovely that very different player from the last one who got who got that name but again having that sort of sense of the future of Newcastle and you know sort of endless possibilities for these players that are here now and it kind of raises that whole subject again about Newcastle's summer business I mean when you saw Levermento play last night it was like okay yeah I can see why they've spent 40 million he looks so assured looks so good he had Jack Grealish under control there's been loads of memes on Twitter about you know Grealish being in his pocket he was so good but of course you then come back to that interesting equation which is the person in front of him for club and country is Kieran Trippier who is has been exceptional uh, already this season for Newcastle was exceptional last season and I did talk to him about that and he says he knows he's here to learn and to get better but it's you know it's not going to be easy for him to uh, to get past Kieran again there's going to be lots and lots of games we saw a glimpse of the future in two or three positions but Livermento was the standout. I thought he was he was really wonderful. Yeah, he absolutely took his chance last night, didn't he? Uh, another player who hasn't played an awful lot of football, but we have to mention, is Paul Dummett. And here's Eddie Howe on the returning defender. I thought Paul was absolutely outstanding, as you say. I think when you see him behind the scenes every day, um, his commitment to Newcastle, the professionalism that he shows, his standards have been exemplary since I've been here. That's why I'm so determined to keep him in the summer. And he can still play an important role on the pitch. He's got a real experience and really good defensive mindset. So I thought him and Jamal 
preparing them today I thought were really, really good for us and uh, delighted that we, we we sort of show that strength in our back line because it's going to be hugely important this season. Yeah, Chris, we have to take our hat off to Paul Dummett, don't we? The lone survivor of our 2014 win against the same opponents. He's barely set foot on a pitch in a year. Understandably, he cramped up towards the end. And Carlsberg don't do sliding tackles, do they? But if they did, they'd probably involve Paul Dummett, wouldn't they? Yeah, there was at least two last night of very, very like peak Paul Dummett away. He just, he just oh, beautiful. Got, absolutely beautiful. One in each half. Um, the second one caused yeah, it. Yeah, the second one. The, sec- yeah. the second one was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second one finished him off. It was like that. That's me done. That's me done. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes off, but yeah. he but he came off to a standing ovation. That was that was beautiful. And uh, deservedly so. I mean, also because for a large part of his Newcastle career, he has actually played as a left back. He, 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 and even when he has played as a centre back, usually it's been in a back three. But he played as 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 part of a back four, left sided centre back last night, and, and he was excellent. He only made one appearance last season, more than a year ago. Um, um, there was a, a can't remember what game it was towards the end of last season when he was ready, stripped and ready to come yes, on. And, and then and then he did in an injury time, and in the end he didn't get onto the pitch, which was sort of a bit gutting for him. But it, I, I, he was surprised when actually Newcastle came to give him another contract towards the end of last season. Eddie Howe went to him was, was clear, and, and he basically he was surprised because he'd been used so so infrequently by Eddie Howe. He'd been fit for a long while, but hadn't actually played. But Eddie Howe values what he brings behind the scenes. He's obviously, again, another Geordie within the squad, someone who has, has been at the club throughout his entire career. And Dummett himself, I know, felt he had a point to prove last night to Eddie Howe that he shouldn't just be there in terms of someone who's in the round, that if he's needed on the pitch, he can deliver. And boy, did he. Because, yeah, in the first half, maybe a couple of times on the ball, gave it away. But second half, I just thought, in particular, him and, him and Jamal LaSalle's, yeah. I thought, blended very, very well together. And both of them deserve special mention for keeping out a Man City side uh, for, for, to very, very few uh, clear-cut chances. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to second that. And, yeah, we saw, we've saw we had plenty of comments over the past you know few months about why Dummett might still be at the club, why he's been given this new contract. But we saw exactly why. Uh, in that match and in what in what Howe said afterwards. And it's so vitally important. Newcastle aren't where City are. You know, you looked at City's team last night. It's absolutely chock-a-block. Even though they made all those changes, chock-a-block with full internationals. Newcastle aren't in that position yet. But what they do have is they have this sort of alchemy that Howe was created behind the scenes where there is this extraordinary spirit. Livramento said afterwards, looking out, you know, looking from the outside when I was at Southampton, I saw this really good squad, really good players. It's only now that I've that I'm inside it that I can see and feel what kind what what a family it is. And people coming in with that sort of attitude, we know that Paul Dummett isn't hasn't got the legs that he had a few years ago. He's not got the same uh, ability to bounce back between matches, but that attitude, same with people like Matt Ritchie, it's so valuable. And until Newcastle have that kind of squad where they can compete, you know, with 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 Man City, they need people with this attitude around it. And yeah, I love. I hope we see him again um, in a black and white shirt. But yeah, that was a great. It was a great reminder of the qualities he's got. Absolutely brilliant stuff from Paul Dummett. Uh, Chris, what did we make of Pep Guardiola's reaction? His post-match interview was almost comical. I think. Well, he was. 
very intriguing to watch on the on the touchline as well. I mean, he certainly paid off the vast majority of, of, of St. James's Park, particularly the Newcastle United bench, I think. I mean, Howe was very diplomatic afterwards and said it was all in good grace, but I have I have exchanged messages with certain people in the dressing room afterwards who suggested that uh, they, they, I think they quite enjoyed riling Pep, is the, is the way that they sort of describe it. So Guardiola was there, was... there was a few there was a few different moments. There was one where him and Howe basically were shoulder to shoulder, arms over one another. It did look quite convivial, um, but discussing some decisions that were being made where Guardiola was clearly saying your side are fouling our team and got and, and how was arguing otherwise. There was then a moment, Guardiola gets booked for what was basically his assistant ran and was shouting at Jason Tindall, yet it was Guardiola who got booked for that. Um, and then Guardiola, yeah, Guardiola had another exchange with Tindall, then Guardiola, um, when... I think it was when Tino Livermento made a, a really good tackle on that touchdown. Guardiola was clapping and it, it was hard to work out whether that was sarcastic, whether it was general applause. Fabian Scher, then when, when he was coming on as a substitute, three times Pep Guardiola went across and was chatting to him. And you could see Scher sort of looking at him and sort of laughing almost. Yeah, say, What's going on? Guardiola kept going back to him. And then also Livermento came across the touchline and Guardiola started chatting to him again. So he was clearly, this This was this was Pep Guardiola, the sore loser, I think, to a certain extent. I mean, I've just looked at his managerial record. For, for a guy who's won 72.7% of his, of his 873 matches in his managerial career, you can see why he would be struggling to, to deal with with that sort of situation. I think Man City have lost once it's since February, and that wasn't yeah. even in, in normal time. That was in the Community Shield. So this is a team who aren't used to losing, and, and Pep Guardiola was not a happy bunny on the touchline. No, absolutely not. And George, that's the first time that Eddie Howe's managed to get the better of Pep Guardiola, isn't it? It's quite impressive. Yeah, first time in 14 attempts. So, you know, definitely need to kind of make, make reference to that and pay tribute to him. Man City don't lose matches. Very, very rarely. This was their first defeat of the season. I think they've lost twice now in 38 games over 90 minutes. So they're an exceptional side. Newcastle got past them. They deservedly got past them. And... For all that we're sort of joking about Pep's behaviour on the touchline, and he is up and down like a like a yo-yo. I mean, it's quite extraordinary behaviour, but he is a total genius. And how got the better of him? And um, it was a deserved it was a deserved result. So I mean, it's a big it's a big deal. Those results don't come often, don't come around very often. We got the live draw, didn't we? Straight after the game, uh, Don Goodman and Neil Lennon. Don Goodman, obviously former Sunderland player, uh, and he pulled out. Newcastle to play Manchester United in the next round of the Carabao Cup, Chris. Of course he did. Of course, we weren't going to get Mansfield, were we? No, I mean, Newcastle <laughs> haven't had an easy draw in any cup competition at all so far this season. Have they? The, group, the group of death in the in the Champions League, uh, the the treble winners, in the, albeit at home in the first round, or the, their first round of this uh, competition, and then Manchester United away, the actual current holders who beat Newcastle in the final last season. Now, I've seen a lot of responses to this, and obviously even Eddie Howe himself says not the ideal uh, draw, as Man City wasn't the ideal draw, but I've seen some... Some people going, oh well, you you you've got to play people at certain points. You've got to play these teams. I don't necessarily ascribe to that view because if you think about Newcastle's run to the final last season, quite often for teams to get to finals of cup competitions, the draw helps. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not by any stretch writing Newcastle's chances off at the old, at Old Trafford, but it is very very difficult if you're gonna if you're gonna get these opposite these opponents in every single round. It's gonna be very very difficult to progress all the way through. So it's it's a real challenge. Do you have a theory about how they could shake up the the competition? Maybe they should play the final first and then play the earlier rounds at the end. I don't know. Would that maybe that would be a bit better? What do you reckon? 
if it's another trip to Wembley, then yeah, great. Yeah. Um, you talked about Don Goodman and his former loyalties. Hmm, you know, there's also something else we should probably mention. I'm not a natural conspiracy theorist, but we should remember that disgraceful incident when Neil Lennon did once headbutt Alan Shearer's foot. He did, yeah. Yeah, and so, hmm, you know, was this a fair draw? Just thought I'd mention that. You can, I've watched that slowed down. You can see it's definitely head to foot rather than the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, well, I mean, we've we've laid waste to Sheffield already. George, we might as well go and do the same to Manchester. Yeah, it's, as Chris said, I mean, it's totally brutal. I mean, what a, what a <laughs> series of draw for Newcastle to get. <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Man City, Man United so far. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it is a bit brutal, but... I suppose the the sort of interesting thing at the moment is that uh, you have to see how things look look when these uh, when the game actually takes place, which I think is when Chris is back to back to work finally, which might be a good good first match back. But um, Newcastle definitely owe them one, and you know they're not they're not in the best of form at the minute, so definitely that feeling of of uh, of owing of owing Man United one. So yeah, bring it on. Right then, shall we move on, chaps? Why not? Why not? Uh, why don't you treat yourself to a subscription to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just £1 or $1 a month, depending on where you are in the world, uh, for 12 months. We'll be back in just a moment to have a chat about that Burnley game that's on the horizon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So no fewer than six three o'clock kickoffs in the Premier League uh, this Saturday, one of which will be Newcastle against Burnley. Uh, Newcastle in their last three games have either been completely under the pump or absolutely all over the opposition like a rash, Chris. Which Newcastle are we going to get this weekend? Well, I have absolutely no idea, primarily because it is that it is that first <laughs> three o'clock kickoff of, of the season, yeah. Saturday three o'clock kickoff of the season for, New, for Newcastle United um, on TV every week in, in demand, understandably so, given the performances Last season, I mean, they were on TV a heck of a lot then as well. The promoted sides have struggled so far. None of the three of them have won a Premier League match so far since coming up. And obviously, Newcastle put eight past Sheffield United last weekend. I don't think it's going to be quite uh, the cakewalk that maybe that was for Newcastle this weekend. I think Burnley will offer a threat. But I also think Burnley will come and will have a go at Newcastle. And that will probably suit. That's what Newcastle want. They don't. They, they, I think they are better when sides come and, and do try and have a go at them a little bit. If yeah. it's sides who sit off and try and absorb pressure, that's where I think Newcastle are still 
trying to, to work out how to, to defeat those sides in the revolution. So I think that they'll be full of confidence no matter what side he plays. Obviously, a few fitness issues, who exactly is available, but um, that, that he was able to rest so many players, Eddie Howe in midweek, and, and so therefore I think that we'll see quite a similar side to the one that did uh, did defeat Sheffield United, well, sorry, hammered Sheffield United, and um, and and I, I fancy them to. I do fancy them to win. I, I think that St James's Park will be rocking again, and I do fancy them to win this one. That's four consecutive clean sheets now, George, and finally Newcastle starting to build a little bit of momentum. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Obviously, a very different back four against Man City, but uh, that that sort of that momentum at the back sort of becomes becomes a habit and uh, and that habit spread and yeah really really good it's um they've they've all made an impact they've been back to their best and momentum in sort of lots of different ways attacking momentum against Sheffield United but sort of confidence in their own defending which i think had, had been lost a little bit and certainly that reminder against city that you can defend and be aggressive at the same time which they which they definitely were but yeah brilliant they've all of those all of those players have, have made a massive impact absolutely chris uh, Eddie Howe says he's managing some squad issues as well and the squad is looking a little bit stretched in places bruno's ankle uh, is a bit of a worry and also alexander isak went off on wednesday night has there been any chat about that he said post match that he was fine but have we heard anything since yeah, he looked fine when he when he did the sort of uh, post match walk around the pitch as well, and obviously the 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 shirt exchange with, with Erling Haaland. I think Howe said it was a bit. He felt his a tightness in his calf. I think it was, um, which he said he's hopefully all right. Same. Callum Wilson missed the game, tightness in his hamstring. I think we saw that after he. I don't know if it was after he scored or at some point in at the Sheffield United game. He saw he sort of gestured towards his hamstring. We know Callum Wilson and hamstrings are not 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 ideal. If the, there's that sort of sign, so you can't take any risks. Uh, with him, Bruno Gimaraes came on and 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 did well. I think at one point he did go down last night, but but that that I think he's managing that quite well at the moment. Joe Linton come back huge yeah. positive that that he was he was a back available sooner than I think any of us necessarily expected. I certainly didn't expect him to start before the game last night. I thought he might be in the squad, but I didn't necessarily expect him to start. So he's got greater match fitness from that. Dan Byrne and Martin Dubravka missed out. Due to illness, so hopefully that doesn't spread any further through the squad. And then Sven Botman was rested, and obviously all of the the the, the usual first teamers who were on the bench and, and weren't used, in the likes of Kieran Trippier and and, and other big players. So, um, it, what what is nice is that it, we we've spoken over the last few weeks about Newcastle's squad depth and and how it will play out in reality. Well, they've managed to make. 10 changes, albeit that to make two further changes at half time, but still change the majority of the starting lineup and have managed to beat the treble winners. So, uh, that, that, that should give everyone, including Eddie Howe, a big boost of confidence that, that he can continue to rotate. It's just about when and, and where to do that to protect those players and not break the rhythm of his side, who at the moment, as you see, have finally picked up a bit of momentum. And just very quickly, I, I just wanted to make mention of, of Sean Longstaff, who obviously, another one who was given a rest last night, but how magnificent has he been since he's come back into the team? Uh, three clean sheets when he's played. Given that midfield, the energy and drive it's really needed. Love seeing him him back and prominent again. And yeah, Chris is Chris is totally totally spot on. This is why Newcastle uh, have got a squad. The fact that they've managed to use it against City and come through it should send that positivity spread, spreading all the way around. It's an absolutely brutal run of fixtures they've got at the minute and so they're going to need it. But, you know, as long as as long as they keep digging out results like this, it's okay, isn't it? It is. Uh, Chris Harvey Barnes' uh, toy injury as well looks like it's going to keep him out for a while. It sounds like a nasty one, that. Yeah, how 
was saying how it was it was sort of his foot below the toe. I think I think it's a bit of a complex injury and one which he said would be months rather than weeks. We still haven't had the exact time frame of that, but certainly I think we're unlikely to see him until at least the the, the festive schedule maybe. And so therefore, uh, Newcastle it's a bit it, it is a blow. I know he, I know he, Anthony Gordon was made a huge impact when he came on against Sheffield United in place of him and has, and has been an excellent player for Newcastle and really the, the one who was who has brought them this momentum at the moment. But Harvey Barnes. We saw what he can do on the opening day against Aston Villa coming on, getting assists and goals. And that's why he was brought into the side. Yes, Newcastle do have depth in that position. Joe Linton, in theory, can play there and when, he, when he's back fit again, although then I suppose they're lacking a little bit in midfield. Elliot Anderson could be pushed higher up. Jacob Murphy could play on that side. Alan Ron, in theory, could play on that side. Alexander Isak can be pushed out there as well. But it does just show that one or two injuries and, and, and suddenly Newcastle's depth could dissipate quite quickly. And so they need that, that fortune that every side needs as well, that hopefully they don't suffer too many other big injuries. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big blow for him it's a big blow for for Newcastle and, and the squad as well, and uh, wish him a wish him a speedy recovery. I mean, I'd, it's not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that it does give him a chance to um, to study the way Newcastle play, to 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 sort of think about his role in the team. The reason I'm sort of saying saying that is that I had a very brief chat with a couple of members of Newcastle's hierarchy at the end of the game as I was waiting to speak to players and they were kind of coming down to go in the dressing room in the manager's office and they both referenced uh, Anthony Gordon and how, yeah, now you're seeing the player that we bought in January and we know about his story. We know how it took him time to sort of get to grips with... Uh, with what Eddie Howe wanted. Obviously, it's not ideal if Harvey Barnes isn't on the training pitch with the rest of them, but it does give him an opportunity to see close hand what's being asked of him and you know, to, to kind of have that time away from the team is actually not necessarily a bad thing, albeit you would much prefer him to be to be an option to be used. But he's got such a big part to play at the club uh, in the months and, uh, and seasons ahead. So yeah, wish him, wish him uh, a very speedy recovery. Absolutely, quite similar to Alexander Isak as well, isn't it? He came in and then had a bit of a layoff through injury, and then when he came back, he looked unbelievable. So it could be, you know, you never know. It could be what uh, what he needs a little bit of a break and a bit of time to to take it all in. Uh, PSG to follow, of course, uh, and we've already established there's no point asking Eddie Howe if they're thinking beyond Burnley because they definitely aren't. Uh, but as fans, we certainly are. Uh, tickets have been an issue again, it seems, with some popping up on resale sites uh, in the last few days. Uh, we will definitely have a proper discussion uh, about tickets and about the ticketing situation, uh, but we won't be doing that just yet. We will do that in the future, we promise. Uh, that's just about it, chaps. Have we got anything else that we'd like to discuss before we go? Chris, you got any more mad theories about how we can improve the game of football? I would like us to do a special podcast one week, one of one of our podcasts, just to be Chris, well, and you, introducing Chris and his special theories, not just about football, but about the world. I think that would be good. <laughs> Chris Wolf special theories a new special theories by the athletic. <laughs> yeah. What do you reckon? Well, I did have for the first time ever, I did have Venezuelan food before the match last night in Newcastle went on and won, so maybe I have to do that before every game now. Venezuelan food? What is Venezuelan food? What was the main what was the main component of Venezuelan food? Was Sausage. Meat by any chance. Was it? It was it was a beef stew with uh, rice and beans and then plantain. It was very nice. Oh, sounds great. Where did you get that? It was at Deli Churros in, uh, in, in in Newcastle and Ridley Place. Very nice. I would recommend. It did. Check that out. Yeah. Right then. Let's wrap things up, chaps. So thanks very much for listening, everyone. Cheers, Chris, for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. And cheers, George, to you as well. 
You are incredibly welcome. Thank you very much. Um, we'll be back on Monday after that Burnley game. We'll have a look forward to that PSG game as well. From everybody at Pot on the Time, thanks for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Athletic.